clap of praise for being so good to us. Uh, and, and where we're in two services just alike now, Clark baptized uh, two young guys in the early service, two brothers, which is awesome and special. And, uh, and then to get to baptize in the second service, God's just doing great things. And so uh, we're in the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 2 again, and we will be again next week because this chapter is one of the coolest chapters in all of God's e- eternal, infallible, inerrant word. Uh, what happened in Acts chapter 2 is the reason you're sitting here today. I want you to know that. If there is no Acts chapter 2, we're done. We're out, okay? But because of Acts chapter 2, we're here. It's that big of a deal. You see, in Acts chapter 2, God the Father uh, had orchestrated a plan uh, through Jesus, his son, who is God, to go back to heaven and then to send the Holy Spirit, who is God, to empower the people in the early church of 120 people to evangelize the world. And in that moment, what happened on that day called Pentecost, uh, when the Holy Spirit came in his fullness into the lives of this early church, the believers, the disciples of Jesus, they, they spread the gospel. And for 2,000 years, it's been happening. And you and I are here today because of what happened on that day 2,000 years ago. It's a big deal. And so the series is called, Can I Get a Witness? Say that with me. Can I get a witness? That's God's goal. It's the goal of Acts chapter 2. It's the goal of him saving you. Sure, he loves you, and he wants you to spend eternity with him forever. But at the same time, he wants you to be a witness. He's looking among his disciples, and he has a simple question. Can I get a witness? If you know the great deed I've done for you through Jesus, my son, upon a cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, then you ought to be talking about it. And we ought to be talking about it. And and it's awkward for us sometimes, right? It's awkward in our family. It's awkward sometimes even at church. It's awkward at work. It's awkward in the the business place, you know. You go to the grocery store, the person at the the cashier. It's just awkward. And the Holy Spirit came to said, I I, I can push the awkwardness away. I want to empower you so you can push through the awkwardness and get liberated from the awkward. And that's what Acts chapter 2 does. And so we began last week, we talked about the fact, uh, the title of the message last week and this week, the first half, I guess, of Acts 2 is called The Arrival. The Arrival, it's on the back of your life guide. We didn't get very far last week. We're going to finish it up today. So I'm going to preach fast. need you to listen fast. If you take notes, you want you to write fast, okay? And that way we can go get some lunch fast, all right? Everybody in the, in the game? All right, we're here. That's, all, that's the loudest amen I got all day. I talk about lunch, okay? All right, amen. I get where you're coming from. Now, uh, so we talked about last week. Point number one is the expectation of the arrival, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. They expected it. 120 disciples, uh, the, the early church, the, uh, the charter membership, they're meeting together because Jesus said, hey, don't go nowhere. Stay right here in Jerusalem because I'm going to go to heaven and the Holy Spirit's going to come and, and it's going to be cool. Now, they didn't know what <laughs> to expect, but they knew him when he got here. Okay, and that's the way it is with the Holy Spirit. We don't often know what to expect from the Holy Spirit, but when he shows up, we know it's him, okay? And, and at the same time, uh, they, they were expecting because they had been told. The Old Testament told, told them as Jews that the Holy Spirit was going to come. John the Baptist told them, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming. Jesus told them multiple times, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. They, they were expecting the Holy Spirit, so there was an expectation. At the same time then, we saw that that there was evidence that the Holy Spirit really did show up. And it's tangible evidence. It, it, was, uh, it was audible. It, it sounded like, it wasn't a mighty wind because there's nothing moving, but it sounded like a mighty wind 
Then he goes on, we find out not only it's audible, but it's visual. They, they saw, the best they could describe, tongues of fire that landed on individuals in the room, all of them, all men, women, all, all 120 of them. It was tangible. It says that in verse uh, 4, that they were filled, they felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in the place. And then lastly, it was vocal. It changed their conversation. And it didn't just change their conversation, it changed the language that they spoke their conversation in. And that's what we're going to look at today. And, and so we, 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 want, we talked about the fact that there was language there. Now, in the Bible, this is the first time we're, we see speaking in tongues, Acts chapter 2. What is that? We talked about it a little bit last week. The Greek word for languages here, or the Greek word for tongues here, is the word glossa. And it simply means to speak a language unfamiliar to the speaker. In other words, I'm speaking English now, and while I'm speaking English, another language comes out of my mouth, and it's unfamiliar to me. And, and so it's not some unknown uh, phrases, some, you know, um, some just noise. It's a language. That's, that's what it is. They're, they're, it's very clear that they spoke in these languages. Now, he, he's so clear here that, that, that we, we shouldn't have all the problems that we have in the church family, in the church culture, where there's all this confusion because there's no confusion, no ambiguity here. It's very, very clear. That's precisely what it means. Now, so, so in the Bible, we're going we're gonna to learn over time, if we keep being students of the word, that there's more than one kind of, quote, tongues or glossa. Uh, well, there's only one kind of glossa, but there's other tongues. In, in the Bible, there, there are what's called prayer languages, that people have a prayer language. When they speak, uh, when they pray, uh, they, a language comes out in prayer. They don't, they, they don't know what it means. It's a language where they're speaking to God. Uh, in the Bible, there's, people, there's, there's a reference to people who sing in the Spirit. So when they sing, it's a spiritual language. And then there's glossa, this word right here, where you speak in a language that's not your own, your native language. Now, let me, let me be clear about it. If you, if you have the gift of a prayer language, it's great. Praise the Lord. Use it in your prayer closet. If you have a, a song where you sing in the Spirit, praise God. Sing in the Spirit at your house, in your car, okay? There, there's nothing about the spiritual gifts that are given to draw attention to you. All of the spiritual gifts, all of the spiritual gifts are given to draw attention to Jesus, all right? And if your spiritual gift doesn't point to Jesus, you need to keep it in the bag, okay? If it's about you, it's not a spiritual gift, okay? Because the, the Spirit is not about you. The Spirit is about Jesus. I, I want you to know it's all about Jesus. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. The sooner we understand that, the sooner our our our. our Christian journey changes, the sooner our church is awakened, the sooner the people of the world want to know more about what's happening in the life of the church, because it's not about us, it's always about Jesus. Now, now we're going to dispel a few, a little bit of confusion right now, and, and here's how we do it. We do it through Scripture, okay? So I want you to know, maybe you have ideas or or you've had conversations with people who are very spiritual and they've told you things, or maybe you're a part of a, a, a church denomination or a church previously that had a lot of things going on spiritually, and that's great. There is nothing wrong with that. But we need to be careful that what we do, what we say, what we believe, at least has a solid foundation that's called Scripture, the Word of God. 
And so the first question is, why tongues and languages in Acts chapter 2? Why did God give the Holy Spirit to uh, empower them to speak in other languages? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. I want you to wait here. He said, I want you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so you will be witnesses. The word was martyrs. I want you to witness to the point of death. I want you to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world. You see, God, through the Holy Spirit, was putting into place an evangelism system that had no boundaries, that had no voice or language barriers, that this thing is going all over the world. And and I'm glad he did it that way. You know why? Because I'm here. Because I'm born again today. Because I'm a child of God, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, headed to heaven when I die because of what the Holy Spirit did 2,000 years ago. And it's true for you. You're a product of what the Holy Spirit did. It's a great, great thing. So that's why the tongues and languages existed, at least in Acts chapter uh, chapter 2. Now, number two, who's supposed to speak in tongues? And, and, and if you're supposed to speak in tongues, how do you get that gift? There's some confusion on that. You see, there's some people who want to tell you that, that speaking in tongues is capital V, sign of salvation. Uh, there's people who would even tell you, I've been told this, that if I don't speak in tongues, then I'm, I can't even be certain that I'm a Christian, okay? And, and then we, 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 see, we experience things sometimes where we say, okay, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Well, you need to come down to the front, and the preacher needs to pray for you that you'll receive Spirit, and you need to be, receiving, uh, be willing to receive the Holy Spirit, be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you'll speak in tongues. If you've ever heard anything remotely like that, just raise your hand. Okay, several of us. Okay, and if you're around long enough, you have spiritual conversations. If you turn on the television, uh, you'll, be experience, you'll experience some of this same kind of stuff. So what does the Bible say about it, about who's supposed to speak in tongues and, and how it happens and where it comes from? It's very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this in verse 4. Now, there are different gifts, but there's the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different results, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. To each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the benefit of all. So everybody benefits. And then he says in verse 8, For one person is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, and another the message of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and another faith by the same Spirit, and another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, performance of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discernment of spirits. To another, different uh, kinds of tongues. And another, the interpretation of tongues. So that's the spiritual gifts. And, and he says, we, now we know where they come. They don't come. They don't come to you when you come down front and somebody prays over you. They don't come to you because somebody lays hands on you. They don't come to you because somebody says, you need to have that or else. They come to you because the Holy Spirit decides or chooses to give somebody these gifts. Okay, now, where do they come from? It says, uh, who do they come to? Is it for everybody? Should everybody in here have the gift of speaking in tongues? Should everybody in here have the gift of speaking and giving prophecy? Should everybody in here have the gift of wisdom? Should everybody in here have the gift of interpretation? Should everybody in here have the gift of healings? Scripture says right here in verse 11, it is one and the same spirit distributing as he decides to each person who produces all things. The Holy Spirit decides what gifts you get. Now, so let me be clear. There's two camps when it comes to these spiritual gifts, right? There's the, uh, the, the cessationist. They believe that they ceased with the apostles. In other words, all the apostles, these, these early, this early church, they all died off. 
and these miraculous gifts, these signs and wonders, they, they went away with them, right? And then there's another group uh, that are called continuous that says, oh, no, oh, no, the gifts are still available. Now, they may be different. They may, not, they may be a, want more of one thing, less of another today than there, are, than there were then. So where do I land? I, I'm a continuous. I believe the gifts of the Spirit are still real. Do, do I believe them as I see them on television? I do not. Do I see, believe them as I've experienced them many times in my life? Not, not usually. Uh, do I believe they are manifested differently today than they probably were 2,000 years ago? I think so, but here's what I want to tell you about the gifts of the Spirit. They will never, ever, ever go against the Word of God. You see, the Holy Spirit is, the Word of God is inspired, the theonoustos, the breath of the living God. And so the Holy Spirit cannot give you a gift that negates or goes against the breath of the Word of God. You see, it'll always be in alignment. So, so, so we begin to understand that we can have some wisdom, some discernment. We can have a good uh, a filter to process everything through. It has to align with the Word of God. And so some say speaking in tongues is the sign of salvation. That's not true. Some people say that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not actually saved. That is not true. Uh, some say the gift of tongues is the better gift than others. That is not true. So we need to dispel, we need to understand the truth based on the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 14, now Paul goes on and he talks about these gifts, and here's what he says. I wish you all spoke in tongues. Okay, Paul said this. Well, okay, he wishes we all do, but he just told us the only people who speak in tongues are the ones the Holy Spirit gives the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, again, this word here is glossa. It's a language unfamiliar or not proper to the speaker. He's talking about a language. Now, listen to what he says. But even more, I wish that you would prophesy. Now, to prophesy is not to foretell necessarily, you know, to tell what the future holds. That's not what prophecy always means. It, many, many times it means to foretell, to proclaim with boldness the truth of God's word with accuracy and clarity, okay? So he says, I wish you would do this more. He says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be strengthened. Now, you may be here as I said a minute ago and you have a prayer language. That's great. Use it in your prayer closet. You may have the gift of tongues. Great. You need to see Clark, sign up on a mission trip, go all over the world and share the gospel in the language that God has given you. You need to find, if God gives you the ability to speak in a language that's not your own, you need to find out who the people group is that God wants to use that language for to share the gospel, to witness to the world. And so there's, there's a public gift, there's a private gift, they're gifts of the Holy Spirit. He chooses who he gives what gifts to, and that's the simplicity of the matter. Now, let me be very clear. I do not have either of the gift of tongues. I do not have a prayer language. I'm not bragging about that. He just didn't give me that. I don't have the gift of speaking in tongues. I get on the airplane every time we go on a mission trip. On the airplane, I'll say, God, you can give me the gift of tongues if you want to. I'll speak. I don't care. I'll speak. And, and, and I've told you before, usually I think God tells me, you don't even have good English. Why would I trust you with another? And so, and so I don't have it. But I'm keeping company. There's no record in the Gospels that Jesus had a prayer language or that he spoke in, in other languages, okay? So it's okay if you, if you say you do, great. If you don't, great. But all of us should pursue what it is God gifts us with and, and let the Holy Spirit empower us to use us with the gifts he gives us. That's the point. So sometimes we elevate one gift over the other, and that's foolishness in the kingdom. 
So the next thing is all gifts are given to build up the church. That's why they're given. It doesn't matter which one it is. Discernment, interpretation, speaking into what doesn't matter what it is. They're all given to build up the church. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 11. He says, if then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. It is the same with you since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. Seek to abound in order to strengthen the church. The goal of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the, the, the goal is to empower and to strengthen the church. That's the purpose. Not to divide it, but to strengthen it. He goes on in verse 18, and Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues. Now, it sounds kind of spooky right there, but he's saying, I thank God that I speak in languages. Now, historians tell us that Paul was a brilliant man, a theologian who spoke at least seven languages fluently. He could be speaking here to the reference of the fact that he just had a big brain and he learned languages well. Or he could be speaking of the fact that God had, because he, he was called as a, a, an apostle born later than his time, he says, an apostle who would share the gospel with the world. He would ultimately land in Rome. And so maybe God gave him the ability just to speak languages wherever he was. He doesn't say it, but this is what he says. He says, I thank God that I do speak in languages or tongues more than all of you. But in the church, he says, listen to this, I want to speak five words with my mind to instruct others rather than 10,000 words in another language. You see, he starts to put, put it in perspective regarding spiritual gifts. Verse 22, so then tongues or languages are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. And I believe it's because unbelievers who hear somebody who shouldn't be speaking their language speak their language and telling them the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden, this, it benefits them. There's a benefit to the spiritual gift. Let me tell you something about the spiritual gifts. There's always, there's always must, there always must be a benefit to the spiritual gifts. And the spiritual gifts is not to benefit us. It's to benefit the kingdom of God. That's why the Holy Spirit gives gifts. Now, let's keep going. Verse 22, excuse me. Uh, he says, yeah, verse 22, the tongues are, are signed for believers, not unbelievers. And then he goes on, he says, prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. He says, for somebody to have the gift to articulate clearly and accurately the word of God, to teach it, that's for the believers. That's for people to grow in their faith, to be edified, to be discipled, to understand more about scripture. And so, that's, that's why it's what it's for. Next, I want us to see that the church is never to be a place of chaos and disorder. Now, maybe you've been in a church where it seemed pretty chaotic. Maybe it seemed out of order. Scripture tells us, Paul again, 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about this stuff. He says, verse 33, for God is not characterized by disorder, but by peace. And then he goes on in verse 40, and he says, and do everything in a decent and orderly manner. And then I'll finish with this one. So what is the greatest language that can be spoken? It's not verbal. It's the language of love. Scripture tells us that all of the gifts of the Spirit will cease. Or it says most of them will. What, what, what does he mean by that? Well, one day, if you're a believer, we'll all be in heaven with Jesus. I'm stoked about that. <laughs> I just, I'm excited about that, okay? And so we'll be in heaven with Jesus, and guess what? There will be no need for a gift of miracles because we're walking in the miracle. 
There's no need for a gift of healing because there is no sickness in heaven. We're all healed. There'll be no need for prophecy in heaven because we're living in the fulfillment of all of the prophecy. You see, those gifts will cease. There'll be no need for tongues in heaven because we'll speak heavenly language. We'll all speak the same language. And so they cease to exist. Scripture says this in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, love never ends. He starts with that. I want you to know something. Paul's like, before I say anything else about this, I want you to know that. You want to know what matters? Love. Love never ends. Everybody say love never ends. You see, in all of eternity in heaven, we're going to be in the presence of love. You see, Scripture says God is love. He doesn't love you because you're lovable. He loves you because he is love. And so when we're in heaven, that love will never end. And so that can begin now. Rather than pursuing all of these other gifts, I mean, they're great to pursue them and pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would fill you with whatever gift he wants to give you. But how about we just start loving on some people because it never ends. And the language of love cuts through every barrier on the planet. It says this in verse 8, love never ends, but if there are prophecies, they'll be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. And so, in the Old Testament, I, I, I want to make a point that in, t- in today's churches, often the Holy Spirit is not very prevalent. He's not very present. And he's not very, the people are not very aware of the reality of the Holy Spirit and our need for the Holy Spirit to empower us in every day of our life. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, Eli's daughter-in-law had a baby was having a baby, and the Ark of the Covenant was stolen, and, and, and she named her baby, you'll remember the story, Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has departed. And quite honestly, in many of our churches in America and around the world, the glory has departed. The, the glory left on the same Uber that the Holy Spirit left on, okay? They're nowhere to be seen. They're just not because we don't, ta- we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. He's part of the Trinity. We talk about God all the time. We talk about Jesus all the time, and we should. We should talk about the Holy Spirit too. He's a third part of the Trinity, of the triune God. And so, just like there's churches where the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be anywhere in in the place, the pendulum swings, and there's also churches where the Holy Spirit has been made much of, in fact, sometimes too much of. In fact, sometimes a fabricated Holy Spirit is what it looks like. I've been in churches, literally, where a preacher called a young believer to come up on the stage, and he started rubbing him on the belly. And he said, I want you to start saying, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, as as fast as you can, and the Holy Spirit's going to take over, and you're going to speak in tongues. And I'm thinking, in the instance, where'd you get that in Acts? I mean, they're, they're in the upper room up there in Jerusalem. There's no record that they rubbing on each other. hey. There's none of that, okay? So we have to be careful because sometimes things are just, and don't get me wrong, I'm not boxing the Holy Spirit in, in and putting him in a box that I understand. If he, wants, if he wants us to rub each other on the belly and start saying that, then okay. But it just doesn't really line up with Scripture. I've been in churches where 100 people or more are running around speaking in some making noise, okay? Are they speaking in, in languages? Do they have the gift of tongues? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know. There's no interpreter. There's no, there's no people from another nationality that speak another language. It's just a bunch of people making a bunch of noise. Are they speaking in tongues? I don't know. Does it align, it, does it align with Scripture? Absolutely not. It does not. 
Paul said, if somebody's going to speak in tongues, let there be only two and let there be interpreters. And so we need to know what the Scripture says. And we've all seen people on television that have, that have holy halitosis, and you breathe on them, and then they fall in the floor, okay? I can't find that in the New Testament. I can't find it. I, I, and I can't find catchers, the position of catchers in the church, so when they do fall out, they land easy. If the Holy Spirit's going to slay me, he's going to float me down on a marshmallow, okay? I mean, and, and, and it sounds like I'm poking fun, and maybe I am, but I am critical. I am critical about that stuff because it doesn't align with Scripture. And because of that, because of that, we live in a world of Christianity that we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know something about the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's not goofy. He's God. And we don't have to be afraid of him because, listen, he's God, and God loves you. The Father loves you. God, through Jesus, his son loves you enough to die on a cross. And the Holy Spirit loves you, and he wants nothing but what is good for you and for the glory of God. And so we don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to ask of show of hands, but I know this. I know there's many in here that are kind of afraid of the spooky idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit because of things that we've experienced and things that we've heard and things that we've seen on television. And I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit doesn't need to be afraid of. The, the whole, you don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves you, and he only wants to empower you to, uh, so you can be effective in changing the complexion and the dimension of the kingdom of God. And that's cool stuff. It includes every person in here. There are those who have claimed to have the power to recreate appendages or limbs and work miracles. There are people that, uh, that claim to have the gift of prophecy. And, and often the prophecy that they share is about as detailed as a, as a fortune cookie at the Asia Cafe. I mean... You will have friends come into your life. That's what you read on a fortune cookie. And there's people who claim to have the gift of prophecy that say general statements like that. And sometimes they're true and sometimes they're not. And the scriptures is true about the gifts. We don't play with the gifts. We don't fabricate or fraud, be fraudulent about the gifts of the Spirit. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says this about the gift of prophecy. It says, if any prophet presumes to speak anything in my name that I have not authorized him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. In the Old Testament, if you pretended to be a prophet and it didn't come true, they'd rock you. They'd stone you. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a lady come to me right out here as I was doing an exit greeting. Hey, thanks for being here. Da, 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 da. She came up and she said, I have the gift of prophecy. And the Lord told me that you have been fasting and that he wants you to keep fasting because there is a breakthrough coming your way. <clears throat> and I said, awesome, thank you. And she walked away. I wasn't fasting. Now, maybe she meant to say, you need to be fasting. Okay. I noticed your pants are a little tight and your belly's a little big. You need to be fasting. She didn't say that. She said, Lord told me you're fasting. I wasn't fasting. But I didn't want to embarrass her. I didn't want to stone her in the parking lot. That wouldn't be cool. So I just said, okay, wow, great, thanks. Well, I don't even know what to do. And so we don't play with that stuff. We don't play with the things of God and with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 2 tells us that we can expect there to be some fraudulent activity in the world. It says, but false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. 
These false teachers will infiltrate your midst with destructive heresies, even to the point of denying the master who bought them. As a result, they will bring swift destruction on themselves, and many will follow their debauched lifestyles. Because of these false teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. And in their greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not sitting idly by, and their destruction is not asleep. So how do we know? How do we know who to listen to, who not to listen to, what to believe and what not to believe? (laughs) If it doesn't line up with this book, throw it out. He will never go against his word. He can't. He's God. And he is truth all the time, eternally. And, and in 1 John verse 4, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. He goes on and he says, But test the spirits to determine if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into this world. I remember several years ago, Kendra and I were leading a youth group in Alabama, and it was amazing. And it was like this youth group, just y'all are, y'all are rock stars in my book. I love you guys. And, and this group was like that. It was like a family thing. They just got to know each other really well. And, uh, and so some of my key guys came to me, and he said, uh, Joel, can we talk to you? I said, yeah. He said, they said, uh, we're, we're leaving the church. I said, you are? Now, their parents didn't come to church. We, they, were, they were people that we brought in. I said, you are? They said, yeah. I said, where are you going? They said, well, we're going to this church over here. And I said, well, why are you leaving? Well, because the Holy Spirit is over there. And I said, oh, really? And, and I said, yeah. They said, yeah. And I said, okay. Yeah, they, they believe in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay. They, I said, well, thanks for letting me know. So they left. A couple of months goes by, and they showed up at church on a Wednesday night. They said, uh, is it okay if we come back? And I said, it was okay that you left, and it's okay that you come back. Uh, I said, why are you coming back? They said, because the Holy Spirit's not real. I said, no, that's not true. That's not true. The Holy Spirit's very real. He's God, okay? I said, what are you talking about? Well, they told us that if we would come to church over there, we would get the gifts of the Spirit. We would speak in tongues. And so they called us forward, and they prayed over us, and they told us just to start, uh, just to start mumbling and the Holy Spirit would take over, and we would speak in tongues. And they said, we've been over there about two months, and we've done nothing but mumbled for two months. And, and then one of them said, yeah, and I broke up with my girlfriend. <laughs> they weren't going over there to see the Holy Spirit. They were going over there to see some chick. That's what they were going for. And so, so I'm telling you, in that church, in that moment, where those boys were at, it was a fake and a fraud. And, and we, 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 we've got to be discerning about that am I saying that all churches that practice speaking in tongues is wrong or wrong no I'm saying let's be sure that what people do aligns with what scripture says we're supposed to do and that includes this church amen because just like we can poke at another church because the spirit's running too free we could poke at our own church because sometimes the spirit ain't allowed to come Sometimes we don't want the Spirit to come into our life and fill us because we, our life is filled with us. There's no room for the Holy Spirit, and that's fine. But if your life is filled with you and my life is filled with me, there's no power because the Holy Spirit cannot indwell that, okay? And that's what we're talking about here. So, so the expectation was real. <clears throat> the evidence was real. Now let's look at the effects of the Holy Spirit 
when he arrived 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. It says now in Acts chapter 2, back to Acts chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. And when a sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Verse 7, completely baffled. They said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? And then he lists all of the people, the nationalities and languages of the people that showed up at Pentecost. They were Jews. They were proselyte Jews. And they were, um, they were entrepreneurs who took advantage of masses of people who showed up in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And here's where they came from. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, which is what you get at Starbucks. Pontius in the province of Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own languages about the great deeds God had done. They spoke the languages of all the people. And these are Galileans. He makes a big point about this. Because listen, if, if you are a civilized Jew, if you are sophisticated and educated and elite, you look at Galilee as a, an educa uneducated, ignorant, redneck fishing camp. And now they're not, they're speaking their languages. All of them are speaking foreign languages, and not foreign to the people that God had orchestrated to show up at the party called Pentecost. They're speaking the languages of the people that God had brought. Now, this is, this is how God does it. He's so cool like this. God threw a party called Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. He invited everybody from all of the known world to come to town. A wind blows in the room. They all move in to see what's happening because they hear this, what sounds like a mighty wind. They move in to see what's going on to investigate it a little bit and all of a sudden God says now you can tell them why because he's spreading the gospel he's empowering the early church to be witnesses to Ju Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the world God knows what he's doing and when we let him do what he knows that he's doing in our life it looks like we know what we're doing too that is really amazing we don't have to understand it. We don't have to know exactly what we're doing. If the Holy Spirit leads us and empowers us to do things, we just do it because he knows what he's doing and it makes us look like we do too. That is so sweet about the nature of God. And so they gathered and they heard their own languages. Now, here's what's amazing. And sometimes it gets confusing. Well, what did they speak? They spoke languages of the people. Glossa, that's the word. Not, some, uh, not just making noise, not some repetitive syllables. They spoke languages. It's like I got, fell out of an airplane, landed in Germany, and God told me to, to speak the gospel, and I started speaking in fluent German. That's what it, that's what it sounded like. That's what it, what it was. Now, here's what's so incredible about that. You see, in Genesis 11... Everybody started speaking different languages. That's where it came from. There's the story of the Tower of Babel. They're building a, a tower to God, and they were prideful. And God says, yeah, we're not going to do that. So he busted them all up, and he said, go speak different languages. And I'm telling you, when God does something, he does it good. I don't know if you've experienced how significant the language barrier is 
But if you haven't, I would encourage you to go to a Mexican restaurant for lunch. And go to one where the girl that's waiting on you apparently just came across the border. And all you need is the simplicity of a spoon. And you can't, you can't say it slow enough or loud enough or articulate enough. You can't say spoon. You can't do this. You know what you'll get? You'll get a smile. A very smiley at the Mexican. A smiley don't help me feed my grandbaby, okay? I need a spoon, okay? It ain't happening. And maybe if you draw a picture, there's a very real thing called a language barrier. You know it's real. You can't fake it. You can't, you can't push through it, okay, on your own. In a nanosecond, 120 people started speaking fluently. It says in their own dialect, their own slang, okay, they're speaking their language one second, and the next second, another language is coming out. Nobody rubbed them on the belly, okay? They just started speaking a different language. That's, what, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. We don't conjure up the Holy Spirit. We don't fabricate some synthetic idea of the Holy Spirit. We simply yield to the reality that if we're born again, the Holy Spirit has moved from with us to in us, and we allow him to be upon us. And he empowers us to do what it is he wants us to do. And as I said before, he's not goofy. He's God. And it's beautiful when he does something in our life. And so I want you to notice not only what we see, but what we don't see. We don't see in any of this story or any of the rest of it in the New Testament, we don't see anybody mysteriously slain in the spirit. Nobody's laying on the floor. We, we, we don't see anybody convulsing or shaking uncontrollably because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't hear anybody hysterically laughing. We don't see anybody ener energetically dancing. We don't see any repetitious phrases or syllables being uttered. Now, don't get me wrong. If the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you get excited about what God has done for you and you feel like dancing, well, praise God. David said he danced in his underwear. I'm not suggesting that here. But it worked for David, okay? Maybe you feel like laughing. I, sometimes when, I'm, when the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of me and I realize I'm just, I just become keenly aware of the, of, of the grace that God has given somebody like me, it does make me smile and laugh, make me cry, brings tears to my eyes. I mean, I sat right back there, Caleb. Where's Caleb? I sat right back there while y'all were singing, and the Holy Spirit, just, it was just sweet. I think I sent you a text. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was me. It was sweet. The Holy Spirit just sweet like that. Okay? And, and so, so sometimes we, there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes it becomes the thing and the person becomes the spectacle. And we're not to be the spectacle. We're supposed to be a demonstration of the beauty and the glory of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And so, the intention was to evangelize the world, and it, it is still his intention. And, and so we've got expectations. We see the evidence. We see the effect of it all. But I want you to notice next the emotions connected to the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the emotions. It says in verse 12, all were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, what, what does this mean? But others jeered at the speakers, saying, Aha, they are drunk 
on new wine. So we see three categories of people. We see confused, we see, uh, we see curious, and we see critical. And 2,000 years ago, guess what? We're still here. Confused, curious, and critical. Which one would you be? If you had to put yourself in a category, which one would you fall into? So the first group is confused. They didn't have all the answers. God does supernatural things every day in our life, and we either call them product of, of coincidence or lucky, or it could be just a miracle of God. I want you to know all of us are miracles of God. You're here breathing today. You're a miracle of God. If you're born again, you're a double miracle of God because you're a miracle in the making. He's preparing you to spend eternity with him in heaven. And so often the confusion sets in because we don't understand it. Let me tell you something. You're not going to understand God all the time. You will never fully understand the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. You will never, ever, ever fully understand the miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's God. And God is so much bigger than you. And sometimes we get that sideways and we elevate ourselves and think we got stuff figured out. No. We may figure some things out, but we're not going to figure God out. Not fully. Because he's God and he always will be. And so what happens because we're confused, we develop these ideas or philosophies that, that, that make us who we are. We become like sign seekers or miracle makers. Like I, if I'm going to experience all of God and, and the Holy Spirit in my life, then there needs to be signs and wonders and there need to be miracles. Let me tell you something. Every day the sun comes up, there's your sign. Just the other night, I don't know what it is about our house, but the way the sky is made at our house, there's a rainbow that, that is, hovers over our house. Got a picture of it right here. Every time it happens, I'll go out there and take another picture. We tell our grandkids. I call the grand. Hey, go out look at the rainbow. What's it? Remember what it means? Yeah, da, da, da. You know, and it doesn't mean what the world says, just for the record. Signs. He shows us his greatness. Miracles. You're a walking miracle. But we live in a world that wants to, like, search for these to the point that we even manufacture them sometimes. Listen, you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you get to Acts. You read the book of Acts all the way to the book of Revelation. That's 25 years of church history. Do you know how many significant miracles happen between the Gospels and Revelation in 25 years of church, early church history? about 25. That's about one per year. But somehow we get the idea that if the Holy Spirit is really alive in our life, we need to speak in tongues every day, prophesy every day, uh, perform a miracle every day. No, God's not obligated to do anything just because we ask him to. He chooses to do what he wants to do and when he wants to do it. That makes him God and he'll always be that God. And so our job is simply to align with that God and say, God, I believe you're a great God. God, I believe that the second part of your trinity, Jesus, the incarnation of you, I believe Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross, 
to forgive my sin and I surrender to Jesus and I wanna be born again. And thirdly, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit was with us, he's in us. I want him to be all over me. I want him to be in my life. I want the Holy Spirit to empower me to do great things for the kingdom in this world and in my day. Maybe sometimes you feel like, I listen to other people talking about prayer and answer to prayer and miracles in their life and I feel so defeated, like God doesn't even hear my prayers. Listen to me. If you're born again, he hears every prayer you pray. Scripture tells us that God's ears are tilted and attentive to the prayers of the righteous. It's not your righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus that he put on you when you were born again. He hears your prayers. And maybe you say, well, okay, I agree. Maybe he hears my prayers. But he doesn't answer them. Yes, he does. He answers every prayer. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. But he answers your prayers. So hold your head up, child of God. Know that the God of the universe hears your prayers and is delighted that you're willing to bring your prayers before him. It's good news. It's good news. So some were confused. Now it says some were curious. They said, hey, what does this mean? Curiosity is where we need to be. I want to encourage our church. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage me to be like a child, man, childlike faith, just curious. I got grandchildren. They poke on everything in our house. They poke on me too. It's like, how's this work? What is this? You know, get off that. Touch it. You know, that's what we're supposed to be, curious about God. Just inquisitive, like, like I, I want to know more. I, I want to unpack this. I want to understand it more. He'll, he'll slap your hand if you get too close to something you're not supposed to be touching. Okay? He's God, and he wants you to be curious about who he is and ask the question, what does this mean? That's what they said. What does this mean? God wants you to pursue him in a curious way because God wants to reveal himself to you in a miraculous way. God wants you. Did you know God wants you to perform miracles? Did you know that? Did you know that every single person in here has within you miracle power? Now, tell me that didn't sound a little hokey and spooky. Okay? Joel Osteen quote. No, it's the truth. You have miracle working power within you. I do? Yes, you do. What, What is that miracle working power? John chapter 14, Jesus is teaching his disciples. And he says, believe, that, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not believe me, believe because of my miraculous deeds themselves. And then he says, I tell you the solemn truth. The person who believes in me will perform miraculous deeds that I am doing. And, and, and his disciples did. And then he goes on and he says this. And will perform greater deeds than these because I am going to the Father. <clears throat> he says, after I go to be with the Father... People are going to perform greater deeds than I did, greater miracles. You have that in you. What's the greater miracle? I mean, when I think of miracles, the miracles of Jesus, I I, I just, I'm blown away. I just think they're the coolest thing in the world. Okay, I hope when we get to heaven, we get to watch them like on a big screen. Okay. But one of those is Lazarus. Lazarus is three three days dead. He's stinky dead. That's what the Bible said. He stinketh. So smelly dead Lazarus is in the tomb, dead as he can be. And Jesus rose him from the dead. That's a biggie. Would you not agree that's a biggie? You do that one, you smoking hot miracle man. That's what you are, all right? That's what Jesus did. 
And then Jesus said, yeah, you're going to do greater things than that. What's greater than that? Think about this. Nobody talks about this. There's only one thing about being raised from the dead like Lazarus. You've got, to go, you've got to die again. The one thing most dreaded and feared in all of the world, death. Lazarus got to go through it twice just so Jesus could do a miracle. Okay? What's a greater miracle? Here it is. You hold it within you. The power of the gospel. The, it is the power of the gospel. It is the power of the gospel that saves those who believe. The only thing better than bringing a dead man back to life is to bring a dead man back to eternal life. And you carry that within you. God still performs miracles, and the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to, and use you to perform those miracles. The miracle of offering life to a hopeless, dead, sinful soul. Amen and amen. And then you got not only the confused and the, and the curious, you got the critical. You know what they say? These guys are drunk. Sometimes people just get critical. Critical about doctrines in the church. Critical about sovereignty. Critical about baptism. Critical about Jesus being the only way to God. Critical about this book being infallible and inerrant without error. Critical about things that don't meet or match or satisfy their own personal desires or ambitions or preferences. They become critical. And so they, they, they begin to chatter about it. That's what these guys did. They looked at these guys speaking language. They said, they are drunk. Listen to me. It is 9 o'clock in the morning. These Jewish guys and Jewish ladies are filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, a religious festival or feast, and now they're accused of being drunk. Now, here's the thing. When is the last time inebriation or intoxication gave you a fluent foreign language? If that works, the next time I go to Kenya, I'm killing about 10 of those little liquor bottles on the airplane. And I'm going to get off that plane, woo, and I'm going to be speaking a language. Oh, I'll be speaking a language, all right. And nobody's going to know what I'm talking about. No, that's not what it, that's not, that's not it. That's not the way it is. And so we, we've got to be careful not to be critical. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, There are people who maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated or deny its power. And he says, so just to avoid those people. Just avoid those people. And so how do we close this first part of chapter 2 on the Holy Spirit? 2,000 years later, we're here because of what happened on that day. The Holy Spirit is still God. He's still real. He's still alive. And his goal and his ambition is the same as it ever was, to empower the children of God to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world. That's your, your street address, your neighborhood, your country, and your world. All, no boundaries. He wants to empower you that there are no boundaries for you to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was big in Jesus' life. I, I want to share real quickly. Jesus' conception, Holy Spirit's there. His baptism, 
Holy Spirit shows up. His temptation on the mountain, Holy Spirit's there. His ministry, Holy Spirit empowered. His power over demons, it says the Holy Spirit did that. His resurrection, the Spirit raised him from the dead. The Holy Spirit was important to Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit is important to Jesus, you better know the Holy Spirit is important to me. And the Holy Spirit is, Spirit is important to you as a child of God adopted into his forever family. The Holy Spirit is important. How important? Your conception. Scripture tells us you're born again by the Spirit. Uh, your baptism. Uh, you've been baptized by one Spirit. Your temptation. You have victory over the flesh according to the Spirit. Over your ministry, He will empower you to share the gospel with the world. Over your resurrection, it says the same Spirit that raised Jesus will raise you in the last day. The Holy Spirit is critically, vitally important to us. And for so long, we've denied Him the right to be in our life and to give us the power we need. So I want to challenge you today. One thing. If you don't know Jesus, first of all, please consider the invitation of the Holy Spirit in your life. That you would just give yourself to that and say, God, I know. I get it. I get it. I get it loud and clear. I know I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. And I feel you inviting me into your family. I receive your grace gift. I don't understand everything. I want Jesus to come into my life and save me today. That's the first step. But most of us have already made that step. But many of us, many of us have never simply said, God, I want to be a vessel. I want to be a container of your Holy Spirit. I want to be like a spout that the Holy Spirit just comes out. I believe that the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Galatians 5, I believe they're in my life. But I want my life to be a tree with low-hanging fruit. I just want the fruit to come out. God, I want your Holy Spirit not just to be with me, not just to be in me, but to be upon me. I want you to empower me, change my life. Now, I would challenge you to pray something like that. You say, well, where is that in the Bible? Because you say, we ought to go by the Bible. I read over this a hundred times. Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, I'll tell you this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks will find. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, listen to this, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Maybe you didn't know that today. Maybe you didn't know that God is willing to give you more of the Holy Spirit. Victory over sin, boldness in proclaiming the gospel to your friends, your family, your co-workers. A, a, a new vibrance in your walk with God. That happens through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be honest with you. Much of my life, I was empowered by me. I don't want that to be my future. I want the Holy Spirit to have freedom in my life. And I want the same for this church. 
want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you need to be born again, you need to receive the gift of Jesus. You can do that simply by asking to receive his gift. But you need to go public with that. You need to let somebody know. You can come forward. I'll be here. You can put it on a connection card. Let me reach out to you and help you with the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. Some of you have already made that decision, but just like Justin today, you need to nail that down. Just like our two boys in the early service, you need to nail that down. You need to go public with baptism. Some of you today just simply need to say, God, I missed the memo on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I want you to give me all of the Holy Spirit that you're willing to give me. I'm asking, expecting to receive. Father, we thank you for loving us all the time. Thank you for not just saying it in word, but doing it in deed. By coming to this earth and dying in our place so that we can be forgiven and we can have life forever. God, I thank you that you didn't stop there. The life that we're supposed to live now happens because you sent the Holy Spirit to come and be upon us, to empower us, to live for you, and to share your story. It's my prayer for me in this church that we'll be filled and overflowing with the presence of your Holy Spirit from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.